0: Hello everyone and welcome back to a new episode of my weekly podcast. I'm Father Roderick, podcasting from the heart of the Netherlands, the beautiful city of Amersfoort. And yes, I'm back with the jingles. I'm back with the old format. Well, it's only a few weeks ago that I temporarily put this, this, this old format on hiatus. Enjoy! So as I said in the intro, I'm bringing back this old long-form podcast because I've had uh, quite a bit of feedback from uh, mostly my my old-time listeners, and they miss this long form. They like to kind of listen to about an hour. I also missed the long form because I I I I, I figured that if I would create these sh- small videos, I could get more exposure on YouTube because a podcast itself, since it's audio only, is very hard to search. I, I've also thought that broadcasting uh, uh, on YouTube or on Facebook, just a, a, a recording of of the show, me doing an entire an hour long, that's going to be boring as well. But I have changed my mind. For the past few weeks, I've been building my Lego Hogwarts castle. I'll talk a little bit more about that later on, and I noticed that a lot of people on YouTube just love to join and chat and hang out with me. And then long form was actually very beneficial because in order to build up an audience you need to be there for a while and so that's why i'm bringing back the old show and i'm also broadcasting this live on on youtube i I switched from facebook to youtube and i like it a lot more it's a different audience it's much more interactive i'm having a lot of fun so if you want to catch me live uh, one of these weeks then by all means subscribe to my youtube channel you can find that over at youtube.com slash Father Roderick. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. Face it, Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. So here's what's been going on for the past few weeks. Um, as I said, I've been building this Hogwarts castle, this Lego Hogwarts castle. I bought it in December, started building, I think even in November, one of my parishioners had uh, built it, and I was so impressed. It looked so amazing that I, I I, was like, I want to do that too. Started building in December, on and off, didn't always have time. There were some pieces missing, so there was a bit of a delay like that. But the, for the past few, I think two weeks, I've been building nonstop. Every evening I would go online, and I'd build this, and, uh, and it's finished now. And it looks amazing if you want to see what it looks like, go check out my Facebook page, or you can see me building the the entire thing on YouTube. I recorded every single session. It's 25 times about an hour to an hour and a half. So that it took 30 hours, 40 hours to build. Um, But I had a lot of fun. It was so cool to be able to build and chat at the same time. So a lot of my YouTube followers kept me company. And that was a great motivation for me to continue building. And uh, I'm gonna continue doing that. I wanna build more uh, Lego stuff. Um, People are already casting their votes. They want me to build that huge Millennium Falcon that costs like 800 bucks. And I was like, yeah, there there is no way in the world and in my budget that I can do that. But I have some other Lego sets, some simpler Lego sets that I, that we can build together and um, and perhaps even do some custom Lego building. So it's it's great to hang out. It's also a very cool way to just kind of relax and chat, which is kind of the building the Lego is is a pretext to just hang out with uh, with uh, the people on youtube so that's a lot of fun it looked so the, the hogwarts castle is amazing I, I just received something in the mail right before i start recording i got this little box it says vonado light up your brick world um i probably have to keep it next to my face for the camera to catch it because i'm, I'm broadcasting this live as well so this this is a small box it's unbelievable this costs more than 70 bucks so it's actually a very expensive box But that's because on the inside, if I open this, there's a manual and then a ton of tiny little bags filled with microscopically small LED lights. And these lights have been tailor-made for the Hogwarts castle. And so um, I can integrate this into the existing Hogwarts castle and then it will light up all the windows the tower will have little lights there will be lanterns around the great hall it's going to look amazing at least on the advertisement on the website where I bought this it looked really really cool and brought brought the entire build to another level it kind of made it come alive um, so that's also something that I'm probably going to stream just putting all these led lights in in place. Um, also, a lot of news uh, f- in terms of what, I'm, what I will do with my time in the next couple of weeks. We just had Easter, of course, but I'm preparing to travel to France. Uh, Sunday afternoon, right after my two Masses in the morning, I'll go to Schiphol Air- Airport and I'll fly to the beautiful city of Toulouse. And from Toulouse, I'm taking the train first to Lourdes, which is this uh, uh, place where uh, the, the Virgin Mary appeared to Bernadette, Uh, Subiru, and where uh, millions of pilgrims go every year um, for a pilgrimage. I've been there many times. Actually, the origin of my vocation is in Lourdes. It happened there. That's where I, first, for the first time, understood that I needed to become a priest. I'm going to uh, film there for two days. And then I'll take the train all the way to the, the city of Carcassonne, which is one of the most stunning cities in the world. I mean, it looks like a live set for, I don't know, Game of Thrones or Harry Potter. It's a, an amazing place. Just Google it, Carcassonne. And I'll be picked up there by a hermit who's actually a priest from the Netherlands. He, uh, for a few years ago, he was just like me, working in a parish. And then at one point, he he wanted to... to change uh, uh, and felt the calling to become more of a monk, more of a hermit, so he went to France. He was f- very much uh, 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 a fan of the, of the French culture and the French spirituality. Um, got himself a small little medieval church in the middle of nowhere. And has now been living for a year in this completely different world, very different from the parish world. Living in silence, spending lots and lots of time every day to pray. Uh, sometimes people will come visit him. And I will be one of those visitors and I'm going to make a portrait of, of how his life has changed and what his life as a hermit looks like as most most people here have no idea. I, I have no idea, so I'm curious to see that as well. So that, I'll be in France. That's also why next week I may do some streaming from the beautiful country of France. So stay tuned, follow the YouTube channel. Make sure you you uh, click on that bell. I think that's a way to get notifications if uh, if I go live. And I may do some live streaming from this beautiful country. That's going to be a lot of fun. And then tomorrow I'm going to do some filming at a conference close by. I'm, so I've been planning tons and tons of, of TV show recordings um, in order to get ahead of the game in a certain way. Uh, last year, I've been working so hard because every time there was this deadline and I I had so little time to put things together. Now I'm going to use this, this time, this summertime, when the weather is good and I have plenty of energy um, to prepare all these recordings and, and film in advance. And I'm I'm enjoying it because it also involves a lot of traveling. So I'll be traveling to a number of countries. So France is the first country. I also will um, travel to Rome in a couple of weeks from now. And I'll record a, uh, a number of episodes there. There will be live streaming from Rome and from the Vatican. How cool would that be? And, and uh, I may actually also... It depends on where I go with my friends. We're currently planning our vacation. And we were first going to the, the, we were planning on going to the area of Wales. Um, And one of the reasons was that there was a parish. Uh, Someone told me about a parish and you could go there as if you were a priest, stay there for for free (laughs) in the summertime. And the only thing that that the the local parish would ask in in return was that you would celebrate Mass and do some pastoral work. Well, there's nothing I like to do more than to do that, to, to be a pastor in a different part of the world. But unfortunately... The diocese or the local parish, the, the kind of the it was part of a bigger parish, they decided to close that church. So it's no longer available. And now I don't know if we want to go to, to Wales. Maybe we will go elsewhere. I just talked to uh, Father Henry. Um, he was like, Well, why don't we go to the south of Italy? Uh, we can go and, 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 and I, I know some, some parishes there. Maybe we can assist there. So it's, it's, it's still going to be a little bit of a surprise where we will go. If we go there, I want to I want to do some filming and some vlogging there as well. Um, so, uh, and the final bit of news is, um, so I, as I told you, I've, I'm also streaming this live on YouTube and I'm using a completely different setup. I mean, we completely redid the entire studio setup here. And I'm using a new camera that I bought this morning. It's the Canon M50. And um, I'm gonna give you a short review uh, first impressions uh, at the end of this show in the tech uh, department of the uh, or the, the tech section of the show I like technology I like gadgets and so every, when, when I buy something new I also talk about it here on the show so uh, that's uh, coming up later, but right now I'm using this this M50 to stream and I try to make this look a bit more filmic, so I've got a little blurry background, so I've got bokeh and I'm using this prime lens, it's all really, really exciting because I've been dreaming about this for, for a long time and now it's it's happening. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. Normally, during my show, I also always do reviews of movies and TV shows that I watch. And I try to be topical and watch what other people are interested in as well. Well, of course, last week, I gave you my spoiler-free Avengers Endgame review. And uh, that was very popular. (laughs) A lot of people love to see a review that was not spoiling anything. But I try to go a little bit more in-depth than just saying, oh, it was awesome. Because... Well, there's nothing new there. Everyone who has seen it knows that it is an awesome movie. It is definitely the best for me in the adventure series. Um, it has a great, great um, uh, conclusion to this story that has been building for 10 years, more than 20 movies. And I'm planning on doing a little video, like a vlog, um, about something that this movie helped me uh, understand a little bit better. Uh, especially when it comes to mourning and uh, people that you love that pass away. This movie has a very powerful message, I think, on that. But I I can't talk about it right now. I I do want to isolate that from my other videos because it will be spoiler-filled. And so I'm going to wait a little bit before I film that. I hope you get to see the movie. Now, another movie, I was so inspired while I was building my Hogwarts Lego castle that uh, I checked out a movie that I hadn't seen when it was in theaters, and that is the second Lego movie. I think it's called The Lego Movie, The Second Part, which, of course, is kind of an inside joke. It refers to the parts that you use to build Lego. And I was really, really looking forward to it because I loved the first Lego movie, the humor, the way it was filmed. This is all CGI. But it looks as if it is really done with stop motion, and it's unbelievable what they're the kind of the 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 it was so creative and original. They they could have done like a CGI very slick version of the Lego um, of of a Lego story. They have like these uh, animated series on um, on Netflix. They look very fake. I mean, it's they still it's it's more like the 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 sequences that you see. In those um, Lego video games, where like the, um, the, the when the movie moves forward, but you can tell that it's computer generated. Well, with the Lego movies, you can't tell. The Batman movie was great. I haven't seen a Ninjago movie. I wonder if it's any good. Um, but I, I most of all, I was looking forward to to reconnecting with the cast, with the old characters that we loved so much, and they were, it was just a great cast, and so there was so much humor in that first movie. Um, and they're all back. It is many years later, so it's a kind of a post a Lego version of a post apocalyptic world. But it, it, it becomes much more apocalyptic when the when they're the, uh, the sister of the boy who is playing with the Legos, because there's kind of like a meta story in the first movie where all of a sudden you're in the real world and you you see that what these Lego figures are. Uh, experiencing his adventures is actually because someone is playing with these lego figurines well, that, that they bring that to the second movie as well but now this time it's not just the, the boy of the family but also the sister who brings in all these these new lego creatures and and lego friends and all sorts of stuff that we as hardcore lego fans would consider to be totally non-canon you can't do that you know it's like all of a sudden like Having uh, being in the middle of a of a fight uh, near the Death Star and and the, and the Star Trek Enterprise arrives and starts shooting and a Borg arrive and it was like eh, you can't do that it's it yeah but in, that's the fun part of Lego with Lego you can do anything you like and that was part of the first uh, movie as well the part of the message was. You, you're not confined you, to... to you, the world is not rigid. You can create and, and, and just use your imagination and you get these, these master builders that can do anything with Lego. This the second movie kind of shows the conflict side of that. So what happens if you get some some battle over what what can and cannot be part of that Lego world? So it's a fun premise. I have to say that uh, even though I really liked the movie, it was fun to watch. It didn't, it didn't have that same brilliance of the first movie. Um, it was, it was fun. It was okay, but at times I felt the movie was a little bit thinner in pl- plot-wise. It's still very, very funny. There are lots of inside jokes, but I felt that they could have done a little bit more with it. It's like halfway through the movie, you kind of see where things are going, um, and so this movie seemed to be a bit more for kids and less for adults whereas the first movie was definitely very enjoyable for kids but it was there was so much tongue-in-cheek humor that I felt that it was more geared to, to, to older Lego fans but anyway enjoyable but not really um, the, 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 the well the genius of the first movie I also think that it didn't do as well at the box office as the first Lego movie and I'm not surprised so anyway, whatever they do with Lego, I enjoy it. So <laughs> overall, I would give it a thumbs up. I also watched a totally different type of, of movie on Netflix, and I may have already mentioned this. I, I just don't remember if I've already talked about this on the show or whether I did this uh, in a video or just live while chatting while building Lego. But I, I finally saw the movie Bandersnatch, which is more than a movie. It's like this interactive movie that you can... Watch on Netflix. You need to have a remote control. I think you can also do that on your computer. And at certain moments in the movie, you have to make choices. So it's either, do I go left, do I go right? Does the the guy listen to this type of music or this type of music? And those choices influence the rest of the story. And I was stunned. It was such an immersive experience and very much felt like these old choose-your-own-adventure books. I used to have one of those when I was a when I was a little bit younger. Um, and it was a Star Wars Choose Your Own Adventure. And I, I I think I gave it away. I don't think I have it anymore. But it was, I remember it being so much fun and rereading it and making different choices. And, and then you have to go to page 560 and then you have to go back to page 30. And it was so much fun. Um, well, this movie brings back that interactive experience, but it goes beyond that. It, at one point, you're like, because this is in the series of Black series of Black Mirror and Black Mirror is always showing us not just what technology will do and maybe doing for us in the near future but also shows you kind of the dark side of it and at one point you're kind of pulled into that dark side of exactly what you're doing the choices that you're making the way you influence the story influences the story To a degree that I did not expect at all. So I was like, it was a jaw-dropping experience. And I wanted to see more of this. So it was very, very enjoyable. Bandersnatch, if you haven't seen it yet, go check it out. It's definitely worth your time. (laughs) Catholics rock! Welcome to the Peculiar Bunch. This is the segment where I try to answer your questions when it comes to all these weird things that Catholics do and believe. And believe me, there are a lot of them. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And no, Homer, we don't eat light bulbs, but Catholics have some very strange customs and ideas and sometimes do very weird things. Man, You guys got more crazy rules than blockbuster videos. And one of these weird things that some Catholics, some Catholics, actually a few Catholics, a few Catholic priests, a few Catholic priests from one particular country, from the country of Poland, there were, I think, from what people in the chat on YouTube have been telling me, there are three priests in Poland that have burned Harry Potter books. They put them on a big pile and made a bonfire out of Harry Potter books. And their message was, these books are evil. These books are dangerous. They they menace your soul. They talk about wizardry, witchcraft. They divert children from the truth and from God and from love and 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 turn them into evil worshippers of 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 esoteric stuff. And and a lot of people saw me building this Harry Potter castle and were wondering, well, are all Catholics like that? Is this something, is, is the Pope also burning Harry Potter books? And, and uh, so people were genuinely kind of uh, uh, concerned about that book burning and wanted to know if, well, one person at one point even asked me, does your bishop know that you're building a Harry Potter castle? Is that okay with him? Uh, Maybe he'll come over and burn the Harry Potter castle. So, and and this is something that I've discussed in the past many times before, Um, but I always get new listeners. I now have also a YouTube audience that is watching this and listening to this, so I want to kind of revisit this topic. Also, because of course, we've just had a new movie in the, uh, the Wizarding World series, the Magical Creature series, the Crimes of Grindelwald. And um, so, this will be an ongoing discussion. Uh, we're, we're continuing to enjoy these Harry Potter movies. And uh, so, this, will, this question will return time and again. Well, here's my take, and I've also explained this before the Harry Potter books are fiction, they're like fairy tales and because they're fiction things happen that are not real right it's like fairy tales it's like red little red riding hood visits her grandmother the grandmother is eaten by the wolf and she liberates the grandmother and she's still alive even though she was eaten by a wolf well, that's scientifically impossible. That's biologically impossible. This is a story full of lies. Children should not read this. It's going to make them think that you can just be eaten by a wolf. And, and and people, children may believe in dragons because there are dragons in these fairy tale stories. Dragons are not real. Dragons are imaginary creatures. That is so evil that, that these stories are trying to make children believe that they're actual dragons that can be slain by... But but like it's the same thing. It's Harry Potter. It's a it's a it's a magical world. It's a fake Who take a feather if you're concerned about Harry Potter. Put it on the table. Point a I don't know what a, a stick to it. Uh, if you have like uh, chopsticks, Just take a chopstick. Pretend it's a, a wand and then touch the feather and say "Vingardium Lefiosa. If the Feather starts really floating in front of you, then come and see me and we'll have a different talk. But it won't. It's, it's very, it's make-believe, it's a special effect. So that's my first thing. It's, I think it's underestimating um, the readers of the Harry Potter books and the viewers of the Harry Potter saga to think that they can't, make the, they, they can't distinguish between fiction and reality. And if you burn the Harry Potter books, to be consistent, you should also burn Tolkien's books. Because Tolkien has wizards too. He's got Gandalf. He's even more than a wizard. He, you know, He's a Valar. And, and there are evil, infernal creatures in, in Harry Potter as well. Uh, sorry, in, in, in Tolkien as well. But the thing is, if you burn Tolkien's books you burn the books of one of the most devout Catholics that have, we've ever seen. Tolkien went to church every Sunday. He was raising his children as very in a very strict way in a certain way. He's a very convinced Catholic who is totally orthodox. CS Lewis, Narnia That story too has talking lions. It's got wizards and witches and all sorts of evil spirits and whatnot. C.S. Lewis was a very convinced Christian and and wrote his stories to actually mirror the gospel. So that entire attitude towards the Harry Potter books I think is is ridiculous And, and, and shows a disrespect of the reader a total lack of, I think, uh, knowledge of what these Harry Potter books are actually about also shows that, that peop, some people don't understand literature. I mean, look at the Bible. The Bible is full of stories that are shocking, like people that are doing the, the most evil things. And, and should we abolish the Bible because of that? It's so short, short-minded, short-sighted. And what's more, and this is something that I also always add to the conversation, Harry Potter is not about magic. Yes, it tells a story about wizards and witches, and it involves children waving wands, and, but the story is ultimately, and this is part, if they had read the books, they would know, it's ultimately about the true magic, the deepest, the oldest form of magic, which is defined as love, and love is such a strong form of magic. And who wouldn't agree that love is magical? Love can, can make the impossible possible. The way that God created the world out of nothing, you could label that as magic, like something is not there and then all of a sudden something is there. But what God is using love. So love is, in a certain way, magic is a metaphor of love. And uh I would say that the, the magic that you see in the Harry Potter stories is in a certain way also, it's kind of like the charisms in, in the gospel. People get different types of gifts. If, I, if I'm good at painting and I become a painter, I can honor God by making beautiful paintings. I can uh, uh, give something back. to. For, uh, for, if, I, if my gift, one of my charisms is that I'm a musician, I can give something back to God by becoming the creator of, of beautiful music that elevates the soul. There's so many ways in which you can use those gifts. Well, in the stories, magic is seen like that. It's a gift. Not everyone receives this gifts. There are muggles as well or no, mage, no mages. Um, but if you have received this gift of being able to perform magic, you can use it for good or for evil. Voldemort and his crew they use magic for evil, for domination, to, to grab power, to suppress other people. Whereas the good wizards use it for good. But that makes the story about choices and not about the magic per se. It's about what do you do with something that has been, with this great gift of magic that has been given to you. So, and that is, I, you can't go more educational than that. So th- that is what I would like these opponents of Harry Potter to see. And then the final thing that I would add is J.K. Rowling herself has said that her stories are very much inspired by uh, by the gospel, by her own Christian background. And a lot of the themes that you see in the Harry Potter stories are straight from the Bible. They're age-old situations and, and themes where people have to choose, and, and it's about friendship, it's about conversion, it's about people making the wrong choices and what that does to the world. A lot of the symbols that you hear about, uh, like, like for instance, the unicorn in the first book, um, it, it, the unicorn is a, is a medieval symbol for Christ himself. And Voldemort, he is the one who wants to flee, he wants to, to escape death. He's afraid of death, but the only way he thinks that he can retain his life is by killing whereas harry learns over time that the only way to save life and to preserve the life of the people that he loves is by sacrificing himself harry potter is a messianic archetype you see what i mean this is the kind of discussion that we should have about harry potter not burning books because we are afraid of them and be, because we are afraid of what uh, of the choices that people make, let people read those books. If they don't like them, then and if their faith is strong enough, and uh, well, they will they will choose other other things. It's like like um, uh, basically any other thing uh, that is our culture is not a, is not an enemy. It's not something that you should fear and should warn against. And I'm always very very. Uh, uh, resent, well, hesitant when I hear people or sometimes bishops say, well, oh, the, the culture is evil and we need to kind of retreat on our little Catholic island and we need to arm ourselves. There's this big battle going on and then everything that's not Catholic is immediately labeled as evil. And that is actually not Catholic to think like that. Catholics are very open. The word Catholicos, Catholicos in, 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 in Greek, means universal. It's this attitude where you're open to the world around you because it was created by God and you you weigh the things and some things are evil not everything is good and you have to make choices that was that's what makes life so interesting and then faith helps you it becomes the light it becomes your lantern that shows you which which way to go but it's very uncatholic to condemn everything and to say everything is evil without having Having first read it, first having, you know, uh, considered it, uh, always look for the, for, the, for the positive sides, that's what I see Jesus do. He's always looking for redemption instead of always condemning everything. And so, um, anyway, I just want to share that with you because it's, it's something that is very near and dear to my heart and I, I, I'm a little bit ashamed that people from my church, are doing these things. And it's believe me, it's not representative for for the Catholic Church. And, uh, well, if my Polish was good enough, I'd probably go and see these Polish priests and have a good, strong conversation about Harry Potter. They could learn a thing a few or two. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? it's time to talk about books well of course I've talked already about Harry Potter but (laughs) enough about that I want to talk about a book that I've uh, started reading and greatly and finally I was able to get past the first few chapters sometimes you have these books where everyone tells you oh it's such an awesome series you gotta read that you're gonna love it and you start reading and after the first chapter you're like ah who is that guy again and wait a minute where is this and what's going on sometimes writers kind of uh, deliberately plunge you in the middle of action and you have no clue what's happening and they actually want you to, to continue reading and then after a while when you start to get your grip on the world that they've created then you go back and then you understand what was happening in that first chapter well that happened to me with this book as well it is The Eye of the World it's written by Robert Jordan that's a pseudonym for another name that I don't know <laughs> <laughs> and it is the first book of a long series of books uh, that is called the Wheel of Time series. And the Wheel of Time is a is a fantasy story. Um, it is similar in tone to Tolkien's writing. It's very different. But it has that same vibe to it, um, especially the first book. And everybody told me, this is an amazing series. You have to read it. This is totally up your alley. Yeah, it's going to take two years of your life if you read every day. <laughs> it's it's an, an, I mean, the, like the first book is like 800 pages or something like that. But you got to read it. You're going to love it. And then I started reading the first chapter and, and that's this, this big mythological story and I was like, what is going on? There's this, this king or something like walking around and he's, he's uh, trying to find his wife. And then there's this other guy that arrives and he seems to be evil and then it turns out the other guy may have uh, amnesia and has done something evil and and then he he touches the force or something like that and then he's all of a sudden in a different environment and then there is an earthquake and a volcano and then a river splits in two and I was like reading that I was like I have no idea what the what the heck and then and then the second chapter is like these two, like a father and a son, and they're walking about walking about and they're heading for a village and they're gonna deliver some wine or whatever, and then there's a gonna be a party in the village, and they see this kind of mysterious rider on a like a dark dark rider on a horse, so I'm thinking, wow, this looks like. Sounds like the ring wraiths, you know, in, 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 in The Hobbit, or in uh, The Lord of the Rings. And then the writer's gone. and But then it just goes on and on and on about the village. And you get to you have all these names, all these characters that are introduced. And I was so lost. And, of course, it doesn't help that I'm always reading this at the end of the day before I go to bed. So I would fall asleep after two, three paragraphs. And I just couldn't get past that second chapter. So... What was my salvation? I went for a training walk the other day and I walked for about 6 hours. I'm I'm uh, preparing for a, a big uh, walking event in July where uh, for 4 days I'll have to walk 40 kilometers per day, 4 days in a row. And in order to get ready for that, I need to do these long distance training walks. And so, I know I, I like walking in silence and just thinking and uh, when I go out for a run, that's I don't take my iPhone with me. I don't listen to music. I just like to clear my head. But there's a big difference between like an hour of running and six hours of walking. And after four or five hours, my brain is fried. And it was like I, I need some diversion. So I decided to listen to the audiobook version of Wheel of Time. And because I had six hours and I was just listening, and there was nothing else that I had to do, I could totally jump into the story and it grabbed me. And now, finally, I feel like, like okay, now I'm on a roll. Now I wanna know what's happening. And I am so enjoying this. And I'm reading this, this is also an experiment. I'm reading this in two languages. So I'm listening to the audiobook version in English, and it's really good. It's a, it's a, uh, a professional uh, actor, a voice actor, and he's doing all the voices and the accents, and it's, it's great. I see the movie in my mind. But then when I read, in order to pick up speed, I'm reading the Dutch version. So I switch back between the English audiobook and then the Dutch written book, uh, the e-book. They're actually very affordable in, in, in Dutch. So... Because in, in Dutch, I read, even though, I, I mean, I talk a lot in English, but for reading, I can read at least four or five times faster in, in Dutch compared to English. And so I can really, I, I snuggle up in, in my big reading chair that I have, and uh, I, I dim the lights, and there's only me and my Kindle, and I can really do some long-distance reading in in Dutch. The only thing that is a bit annoying is that, and they did this for Harry Potter, they do this with The Hobbit and Tolkien's works as well, they Dutchified all the names. So, instead of using the original English names and uh, also places, they made like a Dutch version. And it's so confusing because like, wait, what? Twee water, what? Oh, it's a town of two rivers. Why don't they just use two rivers? I mean, twee water, why? And, and they do that even with the character names. So because I'm going back and forth, I'm quite e- it's quite easy to kind of make the connection and thinking, okay, well, uh, that's that and that's that. But um, it is a little bit of a handicap, but I do prefer reading in, in Dutch when I'm reading on the Kindle itself because, well if it's like running and walking difference between walking and running i like to do both but with running you can you can see some stuff you actually you know you're you're making you're, you, i've i've when i'm running them all i always have the feeling that i'm i'm accomplishing more because i'm going faster and uh walking is just like i enjoy being outside and i don't really have a goal i just want to be outside for a couple of hours so with reading, it's very much the same. I like to listen to the audiobook, and it's very leisurely. And it's just as if I'm kind of immersed in this. The book is pretty slow. So I'm just in this world, and I can be there for a while. But when I'm reading, I just want to hit that chapter goal, you know? I want to get through this book, and I want to see how, how quickly I can finish this book. Because I have, what is it, 12 other books to go. <laughs> 800 pages each so I, I am very determined to get through this series but it will take several years I'm pretty sure so in order to do that I need to read in Dutch all right that's what I wanted to uh, share with you let's move over to the world of I don't know what jingle is this I think it is uh, science fiction do I have a science fiction topic to talk about with you guys <laughs> And girls, I think so. Yeah. Well, let's talk Star Trek. It's um, it's back on TV, as you know. Star Trek Discovery. I'm not sure if everyone that is listening or watching has seen the the two seasons because in the United States, I think it's on CBS All Access, whereas in the rest of the world, it's on Netflix. So I'll keep it spoiler free. What sort of science? Welcome back, science friends. Yeah. So this is actually about science. This is, I thought it was the science fiction jingle. It's a science jingle. I'll turn it into science fiction. Who cares? Anyway, so Star Trek Discovery, which is also a little bit about science. Um, I've, I've said it before. I love this series. I love what they do. They really uh, innovate a lot. Visually, it is stunning. They really go the J.J. Abrams kind of direction visually. But in terms of storytelling, this is starting to move closer to the Star Trek that we know and love. Um, the introduction of Pike in the second season, or actually is in the last episode of the first season, so they reintroduce Pike. That's not a spoiler because Pike is in that time frame. He, he used to be the commander, the, the captain of the Star Trek Enterprise before Captain Kirk took over. And the very first pilot episode of uh, the original Star Trek series was actually... Not with with Kirk, with William Shatner, they cast another actor, and he played Captain Pike. And it's only afterwards that they kind of retcon that, and then in, in, they use that pilot into uh, like a, another episode of the with the cast that we currently know, with Shatner and, and Nimoy and everything. Um, but it's a very interesting if you can get hold of that pilot episode; it's very interesting to see it. Well, Pike in this second season has a major role, and he is so good. He is so good that now fans are asking for a separate series with just Pike and his crew and the Enterprise. And you know what? I think it is the best idea ever. If they do that, and I wouldn't be surprised if they do because they're very sensitive to what the fan base is asking, I predict that this may be the most successful series in the entire lineup of Star Trek series. Because Pike embodies both the new, because he's in this, this era of discovery, um, so it's visually very new, it's very cinematic, but he is closer to the original Star Trek feeling than anything we've seen before on TV, except for the original series. So he's a classic captain, and we need role models. We need these courageous people that are brave, that are virtuous, that are not like don't have a second hidden agenda. Uh, you know, e- being evil. He's a, a genuine, old-fashioned. I would say, yeah, old-fashioned classic. Hero. And and we live in such cynical times where you can, you know, trust no one. You don't there's fake news. We we don't know who to believe anymore. And I, I think this is the momentum that this series could use to reposition Pike as a classic hero, telling classic heroic stories that give us hope and, and re, rekindle the idea, idealism in our hearts, which is, I think, what the world needs right now. It's definitely what I need now. And it's something that Star Trek has always done as a core mission. It was a series that always wanted to pr- give us a hopeful look on the future instead of this, this dim, grim, gritty, you know, post-apocalyptic stuff that we've been watching for, for five, six years now. I've predicted this before, years ago, that we would soon see the end of all these bloodless, you know, gray-looking, depressing, (laughs) post-apocalyptic movies and and TV shows. And the same thing, that's why I I said, I know that DC is going to, come around, they will have to step back from these gritty, dark, depressing versions of Superman and Batman and go back to something a little bit more cheerful because the times it, we, that we live in are dark enough. We don't need a dark, dark night. We need a dark night that is, yes, he's dark and he lives in a dark world, but he is also bringing us justice and helping people and That's why I think Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man, is such a success. It's it's, this optimism. Uh, That's why Avengers is so amazing, because despite all the the darkness and the constant threat of Thanos, it tells a story of how good people can overcome evil. And I think we're going to see... That's why Shazam is so amazing. Did I do a review of Shazam? Probably not. Well, I'll talk about Shazam another time. It's another. It's it's DC doing it right, and and I think giving the world what the world needs right now, you know, is optimism. Anyway, Star Trek Discovery season two was even better. Actually, was a lot better than season one in my opinion. Um, it it fleshed out a lot of the crew members. So um, they also toned down the presence of some of the of the main characters to to give more room to the secondary characters. There's still a lot of people on that bridge that we don't get to know. And and it's something that has surprised me a little bit because Star Trek used to do a lot of these character episodes. But this second season didn't have any standalone episodes. It was all about every episode thrust the the story forward. And you can do this because it's on CBS All Access and Netflix. So people are watching this, well, not really in bulk, but they're watching every week. So you can keep the pace up and and have these cliffhangers and what's going to happen next. What I liked about the second season is that it addresses an interesting theme of science versus faith. Um, It introduces a character that is kind of emblematic for this kind of really scientific, objective... Uh, logical view of the world. That's all I'm going to say about it. But then you also have some characters, Pike is one of them, that are more, much more of the uh, disposition that, that life is about more than just what you can calculate and what is logical. It's also about a plan. There is a bigger plan. there, there is a, We have a destiny. We have a mission. And what is required is not just logic. It's also faith. Now, they kind of dial that back because, of course, well, it's not a very popular theme nowadays and uh, they are afraid to get backlash if they would um, say that, well, Star Trek has some religious elements and a lot of people would get upset. It's like, oh, it's not supposed to be. Uh, Gene Roddenberry is very, you know, atheistic and, uh, you know, had a a worldview where there is no place for religion anymore, just like we got rid of that evil money, we got rid of that evil, evil faith. And over time, Star Trek has become much more diverse and I think it's, it's a good thing because the world in which we live is very diverse and you have a lot of people that don't believe in, in God but do believe in the goodness of people and there are a lot of people that do believe in the goodness of people and also believe in God and so why wouldn't a Star Trek series reflect that diversity? It doesn't, you, you have choices just like that's what makes Star Trek so interesting it's an ensemble cast and so you have people that you identify with and that are like ideals to you there are also other characters that you don't connect with and, 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 but maybe very inspiring to other viewers. That is, I think, what makes Star Trek so interesting. You don't have to really... You, you don't get it... They don't force it onto you. They don't th- uh, shove it through your throat like, this is what we want you to believe. Um, I think the best Star Trek stories are the stories where you can choose who you'll identify with and where you can imagine, what would I do in this situation? And so, uh, I, I like this, this um, science versus faith uh, the, the whole the whole storyline of, of season two is about this bigger plan and this mysterious uh, figure if you've seen it you know which figure I'm talking about and there is this question for many episodes like is this a is this an illusion is this a dream is this something spiritual something from the I don't know the world beyond this world or is there a scientific explanation and even though the movie of uh, the the series at one point, uh, shows us what was truly, truly the identity of this figure. It's still, from my point of view, um, not incompatible with with uh, with faith in a sense that um, uh, th- 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 there may still be a bigger plan um, and and that can impact the choices that you make. And so science does not oppose faith. Um, it, in in the- it, I think in reality, they are complementary. Faith can give perspective to science, and science can give a strong foothold to faith. And I'm very much in favor of, of science and scientific progress and exploration, because I don't, I don't think they're on the same, it's on the same level. Science is a is is a a way to describe uh, the visible world and whereas faith is more about but what is the reason where to it's not just how does this work and, and and how did this come about but it's also why and 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 what is the meaning of all this so faith is about me giving meaning to the things that you can measure and calculate and explore and discover well the second season to me, for me was a very much about this kind of conversation so I'm intrigued and I can't wait for Star Trek I can't believe that we have to wait another year for Star Trek to be back and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of the Picard series there's going to be a, um, this, this spin-off series with uh, Georgiou and well maybe a series with Pike the more the merrier give us more Star Trek I'm very much waiting for that we are on the cutting edge of technology wow well what does that mean? let's plug it in It's gonna say, hey, I see you've plugged in a new device. And it's gonna load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built, whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. In this segment of the show, I'm always talking about technology, about gadgets, about software, hardware. And today I wanna give you my first impressions of this new Canon EOS M50 camera that I bought this morning. I don't know if you are like me, but when I want to buy some new piece of equipment, I spend so much time researching. I watch it like I'm currently uh, looking for uh, a new phone and you won't believe how many YouTube videos I've seen, how many websites I've browsed through to decide which is going to be the successor to this iPhone 6 Plus, which is kind of old by now and slowing down. And um, I have... I have so many different requirements. Uh, I want the, the phone to have good cameras. It needs to have a wide-angle lens because wide-angle is awesome. And so that, for now, iPhones don't have a wide-angle. There are a few cameras, uh, camera phones that have that. Uh, you've got the Huawei phones, but they're, mm, I don't like Huawei too much. Then you've got the Xiaomi, which is another Chinese brand, which is uh, pretty affordable, but then those lenses are not stabilized. So there's no optical stabilization and there are a lot of software problems with those phones. They're very cheap, though. And then you have Samsung. And just the other day, I was almost on the verge of ordering the new Samsung uh, S10e, which is kind of the the mid-range version because it has wide angle. It can film in in 4K, 60 frames per second. Um, And it's got a lot of cool things. And then the final... I was watching some some more YouTube videos about that, some more reviews, and then someone said, "Well, it's such a pity that Samsung doesn't open up the camera API to other developers, even though they say so in their presentation." But it's in reality, like a uh, 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 and, and uh, what, what's the name of that program? There's an app that you can use on many phones um, to do professional filming. Um, it's it's God, the name escapes me. Uh, um, FiLMiC, FiLMiC Pro. FiLMiC Pro uses the API, so that means kind of like a, it's, it's like an, you can, the, the, the app can use the, the the hardware directly, but in order to do that, the the manufacturer of the phone has to kind of give them permission to do that. And so with, with uh, FiLMiC, you can film in 24 frames per second, you can film in, in log, which means that they, uh, it's a way to film Uh, to get the maximum information, so there's no image processing taking place. That gives you a very bland-looking intermediate uh, result, but then you can bring that into your editing program and do tons of things in terms of image improvement. Um, And with filming, a lot of phones don't do that. They just want to give regular users a good-looking image. So they'll do a lot of processing for you. But if you're a a, a filmmaker like me, you want to do that yourself, and uh filmic an- enables you to do that. So I was I was like, ah, oh, if I can if I can use filmic on the Samsung with those two lenses. There's a wide angle lens and there's a very good quality main lens with optical image stabilization, 4K 60 frames per second. It's going to be awesome. And then it turns out that Samsung has blocked filmic from using the camera. So now I'm back at square one. Well, anyway, so I was doing a lot of research, and I was also thinking about what can I do. I was kind of, <laughs> I was getting tired of of the using the webcam. I was lo- using an old Logitech webcam for the Lego streaming, and it worked okay. It was a very clunky uh, 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 setup in, in at home. I was building the thing at home, and it worked for because it was just chatting, and it, it wasn't really too much bothered about the image quality. But then I was thinking, well, what if I could do this kind of long-form streaming, but then with a better image, do it in a a studio setting? And and what kind of camera would I need to have in order to do the blurry background? Because that's something that I've always wanted to do, like a little bit of a a bokeh effect. That's what they call a blurry background. Um, And... uh, is it afford- can I find an, an affordable solution? A lot of people were pointing me to the uh, Sony A seven A seven Mark three or something like that. Um, it's a very powerful full frame camera, four K. It's got great lenses, great image uh, optical uh, image stabilization in, in the body of the of the camera. But that was so expensive. Like the body alone is like 2,000 bucks and every lens you buy is, is hundreds and hundreds of dollars or euros. So in total, it would be, be 3,000 just, bucks just to stream. And I'm thinking, no, I'm not going to do that. And then I looked into Canon because I've been using for my TV shows, I'm using the Canon 80D, which is a really well-known camera. It's very sturdy. It's it's an old DSLR, so it's got a mirror in it. It's got stabilized lenses. The thing is, it weighs a ton. It's very, very heavy. I like heavy when I'm on the road and sturdy because, uh, you know, sometimes you drop things or it needs to be weatherproof. But but I like Canon. It's very intuitive to me. And so I saw that there was a mirrorless uh, variant which has the same... Sensor and also part, partially the same software, the same uh, processing uh, of the of the adD and it was called the M50. The M50 did have some downsides. It's got it's got a cropped sensor. It's cropping the image, so it means that it's not using the entire uh, 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 sensor. But if you put a lens on it, it only uses part of the sensor, so you get a kind of it's the the. the if you put a lens on it, it gets a little... It's very close. It's, it's what the iPhone does when you film. All of a sudden, you don't see the entire... The picture becomes smaller. And so you, you try to do a selfie and, uh, you, or you want to film while using the front camera of the iPhone. All of a sudden, it's like the, you've got a huge nose and the, it's too close and you need to use a selfie stick to get it. Well, I didn't want that. So what I did was uh i bought the m50 which is very affordable it's about five i paid 550 i think and then uh, it comes with a kit lens which is not very uh nothing spectacular it's a little bit of a wide angle 15 millimeter to 50 i think nothing to write home about but then there was a very affordable uh 22 millimeter lens it's a pen, What they call a pancake lens. It's a prime lens, so it, which means you can't zoom with it. Sorry about the tech talk. This is what I do in this tech segment. <laughs> so it's one... You can't zoom. It's one position, one aperture. But it is a, what they call a very fast lens. So it's got a big lens opening. It lets in a lot of light. And the more a lens... The faster a lens is, the more light it lets in, the more you can do the blurry background. The more bokeh is possible. And so I... Place this lens on the, uh, the EOS M50 and it is just the right frame can see the background but it's slightly out of focus Not you can still see what's in the in the on the uh, in the ikea on the ikea shelves behind me so it's got harry potter in latin it's got mickey mouse it's got uh, bb-8 and yoda and some figure figurines of the simpsons so you can see that but it's a little bit out of focus for so that the the image gets a lot of depth i'm i'm in focus so i'm very sharp and then behind me it's a little bit out of focus i love that view. i love that image and, and, and this is still done with a very bad studio lighting here, it's, uh, the office lighting. So I'm gonna install some of my, I've got a light kit with LED lights and it, I can make it look so pretty over time. Um, and the, uh, the, the other thing is normally you can't really stream with the EOS M50. Uh, for streaming, a lot of vloggers would use an HDMI, HDMI connection and then they would have a, like a dongle that converts the HDMI uh, uh, image to a USB signal, so that your uh, computer can see it as a webcam. That's basically how how they all do it. The thing is, the HDMI uh, HDMI uh, signal that comes from these Canon cameras is what they call a dirty signal. It's not clean. It's not just the image. It also has all the menus on it or the like the little square around the head where it's focusing. And of course, you don't want to stream that to YouTube. Well, lo and behold, on the Mac, there is a program on GitHub that you can download and that connects to the camera via, believe it or not, USB, just USB. The camera hasn't been designed for that, but apparently there is some signal coming through the USB. And this this uh, soft, little bit of, of open source software sees the camera image and can offer it to the system. In my case, it's, a, it's an old uh, uh, iMac, as if it was, as if it were, uh, a, a webcam, full HD, with all the quality of the image. So what the lens sees is what I can stream. And then I can use Ecamm, which is the streaming software. And, and, and Ecamm sees the camera, sees the EOS M50 as a streaming camera. And so now I can do uh, YouTube streaming with a professional-grade camera. And I couldn't be more happy that this all worked. And I was like, I can't, I can't believe that this worked. And so just the, 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 the comparison between the Sony solution, it would have cost me the Sony body, the, a good prime lens. Um, that would already been... Have been around three thousand bucks. Then the converter. Uh, then oh, big problem of the uh, a- a- the A seven um, or the Alpha seven uh, Mark three. It doesn't have uh, a screen. You can't you can't uh, use it in selfie mode. The screen is glued to the back, and you can't turn it. Mm. That's one of the things that Canon always does really well. It has a screen that you can. Turn around, and you. So I can see myself now next to the camera. There is the the uh, viewfi, the viewer, the viewing screen, and uh, I'm not. I'm looking at the camera. I always try to to avoid looking on this. But in, in the corner of my eye, I can see if, if I'm, you know, well, if the thing is on and if it's uh, well positioned, if it's in focus, and everything. So my solution cost five fifty plus. The Prime Lens, which was 200 bucks, I get 30 bucks back from Canon because I bought it in conjunction with a camera. So that is uh, about, um, let's say, 700. Plus, I bought a new tripod, a, a Rolay tripod, which is super lightweight. Very, It's going to be great for traveling to Rome. Um, that was 150. So in total, I spend about 950. For this entire, almost full-frame camera with great depth of field possibilities, it is a, a great uh, also kind of B-roll camera because it has uh, all the all the abilities of the Canon 80D, but it's like a third of the weight. This is a very heavy camera, and after a while, I get really tired of carrying it in my hand. Uh, th- this camera can do exactly the same image quality, but it is so small and so lightweight like the lens the pancake lens is so tiny if you walk around with this nobody will see that i'm actually making television so i'm i'm very very impressed by the m50 it had one little strange thing the, the the image on the viewfinder on the the video screen would go sometimes it would go black all of a sudden so i thought it was faulty turns out it has a a, a proximity sensor for the, for the um, what is it, the viewfinder. It's an electronic viewfinder. And if you move it to your face, then the, the screen goes dark. And that was what was happening. So it apparently super sensitive. So every time I moved my hand in front of the viewfinder, the screen would go black. And I was like, oh, it's broken. Oh, no. Well, it turns out it's, it's easy to, to turn that off in the settings. And now it works wonderfully. So I am so stoked. I was so excited that I I wanted to use it right away for a live stream, record the long form podcast, and let me know if you like this. Um, I hope that you do. I'm Father Roderick. You've been listening to my weekly podcast. Go to tridio.com for more and subscribe to my social media channels at Father Roderick. Take care God bless.